So the phrase, be afraid, be very afraid, was a tagline from a 1986 horror movie. I'll give you a second to try and remember uh, or guess what horror movie that was. Be afraid, be very afraid. It was The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, which contains one of the more disturbing transformation scenes you will ever see in a movie. It's not so much the fly itself that's scary in that movie, it is the change from human to fly. It's even just too much for me to put in this box up here. I was 14 when that movie came out. I remember watching that scene on home video and thinking, this is what they warned me to be afraid about. Uh, since then, I, I've seen many a scary movie. I, I am a fan of the horror. I, I like watching entertainment that brings the spike of adrenaline that comes with fear. But when it comes to real life, not the stuff on the screen, I don't know anyone that likes to be afraid. Let me ask you, what is it we should be afraid, be very afraid of? I was thinking about this, and, and what people most often fear is not always the thing they should. Here's what I mean. Are you afraid to fly? You have a 0.00001% chance of dying in an airplane crash. On the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates the average driver will be involved in three or four car crashes in their lifetime. Do you fear being killed by a bolt of lightning? The odds of that happening are one in 2.3 million. You're much more likely to be struck by a meteorite. Those lifetime odds are about one in 700,000. How about dogs? Their bark really is worse than their bite. Your chance of suffering a dog bite is one in 137,694. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is one in 3,623. How about sharks? You are much more likely to be killed by your spouse, that's one in 135,000, than a shark, one in 300 million. It's just to say, there are some things worth being afraid of, but maybe it's not the things that we think. Maybe some of our fears are a little bit irrational. In 1975, a, a geographer named Roger Hart, he decided to do a study on, on where children felt safe to play. Again, this is 1975. He focused on 86 kids between the ages of three and 12 in a small town in Vermont. And what he would do, he'd follow them throughout the day and he'd document everywhere the children went by themselves. And then he took that information and he made maps that measured the distance that each kid was allowed to go by themselves and, and what the average was for every single age group. Again, this is 1975. And he discovered these kids had remarkable freedom. Even four or five-year-olds traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods. And by the time they were 10, most of these kids had the run of the entire town. And the kids' parents weren't worried. No big deal. Well, in 2014, seven years ago, he went back to the same town to document the children of the children that he had originally tracked in the 70s. And when he asked the new generation of kids to show him where they played alone, what he found floored him. They didn't have very far to take him. They just walked around their own property. In other words, the huge circle of freedom on the maps had grown tiny. So in his newer study he published, he said, there is no free range outdoors. Even when kids get older, parents now say, I need to know where you are at all times. Okay, you ready for what's really odd about all of this? That town in Vermont is not more dangerous than it was before. 
There's literally no more crime today than there was 40 years ago. So it begs the question, why has the invisible leash between parent and child, why has that tightened so much? And Roger Hart says it was absolutely clear from his interviews the reason was fear. He concluded this new study of his saying, fear of the world outside our door narrows the circle of our lives. All right, I want to tell you today, something has changed in our world. Many of you listening right now, you've noticed it. You've been saying it for a while. There's been a change. Others of you may not have felt the change because this is all you know. You, you may have grown up in this world, but here's what it is. In 2021, we live in a fear-driven society. Forget about the pandemic for a second. Even before this thing hit, when you would turn on the news, the leading story was always what to be afraid of. Fear sells. Fear keeps you tuned in. Fear drives ratings. Fear makes me want to have to watch again tomorrow to see if whatever I was afraid of got solved. But when I tune in tomorrow and find out it didn't get solved, it only got worse, then I have to tune in again the following day in hopes you're going to make my fear go away. And, and we don't always notice it, but we are being controlled or, or manipulated into a response by someone provoking our fear. Politicians do it. Pastors do it. It is everywhere you look. We live in a fear-driven society. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to know as we start the sermon today. Living in fear prevents us from living in the fullness that Jesus came to give. Living in fear prevents you from living in fullness. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, and your fear could be stealing that from you. Have you ever thought about what you would do or, or, or who you'd be if you had less fear? Have you ever thought about what fear is holding you back from? What, what relationship you might be in right now, but you haven't asked that person on a date because you're too afraid? What career that you might be wired to do, but you're afraid to take a chance? What move to a new town you're supposed to make? Um, what small group here at Crosswinds you're supposed to join? What problem you need help with that begins with admitting to a group of people that you have a problem, but you're afraid to admit it? What is fear holding you back from? Who would you be if you had just a little bit less? Now, let me tell you, this is possible to be less scared. A guy named Douglas Rumford wrote a book. He called it Scared to Life instead of Scared to Death. And, and here's what he found. This is so fascinating to me. He found 60% of your fears, 60% are totally unfounded. 20% are about things that are already behind us, things that are in the past. 10% are about things that are so small and petty, they don't make any difference, which leaves only 10% left. And yes, the remaining 10% are of real things, but half of those we can't do anything about. So what that leaves us with is about 5% of our fears that are actually real and worth worrying about it. Yes, less fear is possible. Fullness instead of fear is possible, and it can come through the realization and the internalization of something that we find in Psalm 23. Something we read about being sheep that are cared for by a good shepherd. 
This whole series, we're looking at Psalm 23. We're trying to figure out what it means to live restfully in a restless world. And, and we're going very slowly through this psalm. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 3. That's it, just 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he guides me in the right paths for his namesake. Last week, we explained that David, who wrote this, he, he uses this metaphor of, of sheep and a shepherd, and we said that David knew shepherding. David had been a shepherd when he was a boy, before he was a warrior, before he was a king. And, and today, I want to show you three more things about the sheep-shepherd relationship that you have with God, that, that if you embrace these things, if you really own them and internalize them, they should allow you to trade some of your fear for fullness. And we find them picking up in verse 4. Let, let me read you verse 4. David writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, God, you're the shepherd, I'm the sheep, and even when you walk me through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. All right, let, let's talk about this. I said last week that, that it would be wrong of us to think that shepherds in the ancient Mideast were just doing their thing in continuous green pastures. Green pastures everywhere. That's not true. They, they had to constantly be moving their sheep to random tufts of green they would find so that the sheep could eat. Little green spots in the midst of, of a really harsh terrain. And the sheep would eat all of the green up and then they would have to journey to the next one. And the journey would take you up into hills and mountains. And then the journey would take you down into valleys. Now, real quick, that right there, there's something to that. We're going to come back to that. Just remember, mountains, mountains, mountains. But when David talks here in this verse about the darkest valley, he's pointing out that the life of a sheep, the daily journey of a sheep from green to green, it involves some scary places in between dark valleys. Some of you know this psalm, and, and, and your recollection of it is different than what I just read to you. You're thinking, wait, isn't that supposed to be, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Uh, actually, if you've known it a really long time, you know it as, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's this all about? Darkest valley, shadow of death? Those kind of feel different. Well, as the sun would set on the Judean hills with its meandering trails and steep cliffs and, and, and deep gulches, it would become more likely that a sheep could make a wrong step or, or it could fall or it would get lost. As it got darker and the sun went behind the mountain and the sheep and the shepherd walked in the shadows, it would get harder for a sheep to follow the shepherd. Any one of those things, a misstep, a fall, getting lost, any one of those things could result in death. And so what a good shepherd would do around twilight and in, in the valley shadows they would drop back and they would walk amidst the sheep. As it got harder for the sheep to see, a good shepherd would walk and talk to let the sheep know he was right there in the middle of them. The shepherd would make his presence known to the sheep. And that says something about who God wants to be in your life. He's not just out front leading the way, but he is with you. He'll drop back to be with you. When you get off track, he'll go after you. And, and you may live in a world right now that is driven by fear, 
but you have a good shepherd who will talk to you, comfort you, give you an experience of his presence when you're in the shadows. David says, this is what he does. He will let you know that he is there. And the first thing that you must know today and then begin to internalize, I gave you a few others last week, but the first today, we tell ourselves to avoid fear at all costs. God tells us that he will make his presence known and felt in our fear. There is no valley so dark that God will not be there right with you. But you already knew that. Here's what I want you to understand today, that when it gets darkest, when it gets most scary, that's when God makes it known to his sheep that he is in their midst. He is right there. That's why David can say, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, given the fear-driven society that we live in, I can choose to never go into the valley in the first place. Um, let me use me as an example. This is sometimes how I think. I think, you know what? A smart, practical person, they know not to go into the valley so, so that I don't need God to rescue me. It's wise for me to stay out of the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. Why would anyone take those kind of risks? All right, let me tell you why. First, because while God is with me everywhere, the valley is where he makes that known and felt. Um, if you're somebody who says, I just never experienced the presence of God in my life, it, it could be, I'm not saying it's always, but it could be that your fear is causing you to avoid valleys, and the valley is where he makes himself known and felt. But, but the second reason to take a risk and to go into the valley is that if you don't go into the valley, you'll never get to a mountaintop. Valleys and mountains go together. Max Lucado, well-known author, he puts it this way. He says, fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. If it can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. I am telling you, your fear will convince you that the best move, the most God-honoring move is to stay out of the valley, stay in the flatland, but it's not. Living in fullness means mountains and valleys, and, and not just the knowledge, but the experience that God is there with you. Now, look at the next line in the same verse. David writes, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's talk about the rod and the staff that a, that a shepherd would have. One of the things a shepherd had to do was protect the sheep from predators. Uh, you may have heard the story of David as a young boy with his slingshot. He used it to defeat Goliath, right? Do, do you know why David was good with a slingshot? Because when predators would start coming toward his sheep from a distance, he would stop them with stones and his sling. Well, shepherds had a rod as well for closer, fast-approaching predators. The, the rod was a short club that he could throw at something that was coming real close. In 1 Samuel 17, David is asking Saul if he can go try and defeat Goliath. And Saul says, you're just a young man. You can't beat him. And David says, well, take a look. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. And, and, and when David says this, 
He's not talking about fighting off bears and lions with his bare hands. What do you think David used? The rod. It was used to protect the sheep and, and, and fight against their predators. It was, it was the main weapon of defense. Okay, this should do something to our fears. You must know. You tell yourself that you are defenseless against what the world might bring. God tells you he will never stop fighting for you. And, and he knows what you're up against. He is a fierce warrior for you. You tell yourself there are things out to get you, fighting you, wanting to see you fail. God tells you he is a warrior out to get the thing that's out to get you. Now, the staff, the shepherd's staff. It, if you only know one thing about shepherds, it would be that they have some kind of staff, right? That's the picture you always, the staff, the staff to a shepherd is like a basketball to Steph Curry. It's just what they do. Well, the staff was used to, to pull the sheep back toward the group, right? Grab them, uh, keep them from falling off a cliff. Real quick, uh, last week we had sheep out here on our campus, two of them on the, on the grassy knoll over in our courtyard, and, and they were in like a flimsy wire dog pen. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like those kind of play pens for small dogs. It might be good for keeping a very small puppy from escaping, maybe, but all the sheep needed to do was push on it a little and it would fall down. And uh, our sheep people were so gracious to donate the sheep for the day, but they left no sheep handler. And so our staff took turns watching the sheep and keeping them in this pen. And my friend Lonnie, uh, she took a long turn trying to keep the sheep from escaping. Well, when the sheep people dropped them off, they said to us, all right, you'll need someone here while, while people, like kids, come over and pet the sheep because the sheep get a little bit scared and, and that's when they try and escape the pen, when there's people around. But, but once there's nobody around to be scared of, the sheep will just calmly hang out inside. So everyone leaves and uh, Jody and I had a meeting with our small group staff, and, and we decided to meet over under the trellis outside the lobby, probably like 50, 60 feet away from the sheep. And we thought, we'll keep an eye on them, but we'll be far enough away that the sheep can just relax. Well, I don't know why the sheep handlers thought that if we left them alone, they wouldn't try to escape, but the minute we would turn away, they would start to paw, uh, or what do you say, like hoof, at the fence to try and knock it down. And, and, and I was so nervous. What will we do if they escape? We don't know how to rally sheep. I can't chase a sheep around here and trust that I'll catch it. And I kid you not, at one point I thought, if I only had a long stick with a crook, if they escape, I know I'd be able to hook one and bring it back in. Okay, you don't realize how helpful a staff would be until you're around some skittish sheep. The staff was a long, narrow stick with a crook on the end that was used to guide the sheep and to rescue them from uh, the thickets or, or from the crag of a rock. And, and here's where it's different than the rod. The rod is meant to protect the sheep from the predators. But get this, the staff protects the sheep from themselves. The staff keeps a sheep from walking off that cliff or from getting stuck in the weeds or in a crevice, from getting carried away by a rushing river. The staff protects a sheep from itself, its own choices. And I wonder if one of our fears, the ones that you and I deal with, is that we will make mistakes. We will mess up. We will put ourselves in a place where we're in trouble. We're afraid of failing. We stay in the flatlands because we're afraid we'll get halfway up the mountain and blow it. But here's the deal with the shepherd. 
You don't have to be afraid of you. He's got a tool for you. He's got a staff he uses to keep you from walking off the edge. And here is the third thing that you must know and internalize today. You tell yourself that you are your own worst enemy. But God tells you he can protect you from even you. You think that you will get in your own way. Maybe that's your biggest fear. And God says, I've got a tool for that. I know how to solve that. I'm a good shepherd. I'm good at this. I can protect you from yourself. Now, those two images, rod and staff, David says, they comfort me. They are, they're meant to calm my fear, calm my anxiety. I can live without as much fear because I experience God with me in the valley. I experience him and I know he's protecting me from things out to get me and the things that I would do to myself. And those things are just as true for you as they were for David. The key is to live in an awareness of them. It's to internalize them and, and, and let them dictate the way that you live I want to try something with you. Um, let's remove this from the metaphor of sheep and a shepherd for a minute. I want you to imagine yourself on an oil platform in the North Atlantic Ocean. Or, or maybe you're not on it yet, but you're, you're being offered a job to go work on one. Uh, you know what an oil platform is? It's those oil rigs that you, you see out in the deep ocean drilling for oil. People go out there, they live out there for weeks, for months at a time while they're working. Once in a while, you see images of giant waves crashing into them. Uh, but these things are tall. Uh, they're built strong. They can handle it, hopefully. In 1982, uh, an oil platform called the Ocean Ranger sank. A rapidly developing storm hit uh, the oil rig before they could get ready. All 84 men on that rig were lost at sea. This is out of the North Atlantic Ocean. Okay, knowing that, would you be afraid to go work on its replacement? To go work on a new platform called the Hibernia that's about 750 feet tall, also in the North Atlantic, 189 miles out to sea from Canada. Would you be afraid? I think most of us would. I mean, you know what the North Atlantic is known for, right? Icebergs. Yes, this platform is built in the middle of what some scientists call Iceberg Alley. Icebergs that float through these waters can be as large as ocean liners. This is where an iceberg hit the Titanic. How comfortable would you be taking a job on a rig 189 miles out to sea where storms have sunk oil rigs and icebergs have sunk cruise ships? I think most of us would be a little afraid, maybe a lot afraid. Well, let's try something. What if I told you that this time, this oil platform, they decided to anchor it to the seabed? Not just have it float like the others, but actually create an artificial island with this platform so that it can't sink. It's built from the floor of the ocean up. Would the knowledge of that make taking the job a little bit more comfortable? I hope so. And, and what if I told you that because it sits in Iceberg Alley, they built the platform with 16 giant concrete teeth that surround it. Teeth that can take a blow from an iceberg and distribute the force over the entire structure and down into the seabed. It's built to withstand a 1 million ton iceberg with no damage at all. A 1 million ton iceberg only comes along once every 500 years. Would that make it a little bit more comfortable for you? 
I hope so. And what if I told you that even with all that, radio operators uh, monitor all icebergs within 27 miles and that any that come close are lassoed and towed away from the platform by powerful supply ships. They will never allow an iceberg to come even close to where you are. That all those safety devices on the rig will likely never have to get used. Would that make you even more comfortable? And what if I told you they put a Starbucks on it? Would that make you comfortable? No, they did not put a Starbucks on. Well, let me ask you, what more do you need to know to lessen your fears, to be comfortable, than that God is protecting you from things out there and from things in here? The God of this universe is with you in the darkest of valleys, and he's protecting you in in what you must know today is you do not need to fear so much. We live in a culture of fear, but you have a shepherd who is with you and protects you. And if you live afraid, you'll miss the mountaintops he wants to lead you to. I wanna close just reading you something that a missionary and an author, Oswald Chambers said, this is so good. Here's what he said. He said, it is the most natural thing in the world to be scared. But the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we do not get into panics. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. If you fear God, meaning if you follow him and his ways, you have no reason to fear anything else. If you don't, you'll find yourself fearing everything else. So this week, when the fear comes and you feel nervous or shaken or terrified, any of those, when you turn on the news and there's one more story meant to keep you afraid, when you, when you answer the phone and there's something going on that's truly worth being afraid of, lean into the truth that Jesus is with you and is ready to show you that he is the good shepherd in your life.